Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio, Frontline Mindset. I am excited today because all the way across the world, in fact, a day ahead of time because of the international time change and everything else that happens, I'm still confused by all of it. I am joined by Andrew Hamilton. You may have seen him on TikTok uh, doing food reviews from Long Bay Jail, right? Is that the facility? That's right. Long Bay or Parkway Prison. Yes. Yep. And uh, you've also seen him on TikTok with the MAD TV uh, doing dad jokes with his other other friends and, and cast there. Um, Andrew Hamilton, welcome to the show. I am super excited to have you on. Rob, thanks for having me on. This is a pleasure. It's great to uh, great to chat to you. And uh, yeah, well, I, it still shocks me anytime uh, people from, from outside of Australia know about my stuff. So this is very cool. Hmm. Yeah, man, this is uh, this is like I said, it, it's been awesome. I, we talked a little bit about about this. We did a little bit of a pre-show, just going over some stuff. But Andrew, for those who don't know you, kind of just give yourself a brief, uh, like who you who you are today. Yeah, sure. So uh, I worked in public relations after I, I went to university in in Australia in Sydney, and then I, I worked in public relations for over a decade. And so that whole time, I was also moonlighting as a dealer of magic mushrooms. And so I was selling those to mainly to friends and, and friends of friends for a long time. And then over the course of uh, over a decade, um, that escalated um, to being a very big money earner for me. Um, and so I was, and then that, that grew out from selling just magic mushrooms to me also selling MDMA and LSD and ketamine and cocaine. And, um, then, uh, yeah, after 15 years of, of doing that and I was a bit of a mess, I opened up a restaurant and I was just a, a kind of a fat, depressed drug addict. And, um, that all came to a head when my, my fiance had a mental breakdown on, on cocaine and she ran off and told the cops that I was a drug dealer and got the house raided by police and uh, I, I got sent to prison and I was locked up in remand, which is basically like unsentenced prison. And so I was, I was in remand for four months um, and while I was in there, I um, started to think about, you know, I felt like my life was over and I, and I started to think about well, what would I do differently if I could do it all over again. And weirdly, the, the only answer that I had in my head was uh, stand up comedy. <laughs> For some reason, that was the only answer I had in my head. So I started writing jokes and because and I was so bored in prison, I started writing food reviews of all my prison meals. And when I got out, uh, I was under house arrest for, um, for quite a few months at my parents' place. And so the first comedy gig I ever went to was in Feb, uh, was the end of January 2022. Sorry, the start of just, yeah, the end of January 2022. I had to go with my mum my because I wasn't allowed out of the house unless I was in the company of my parents. And um, so that was my first open mic comedy gig with a whole bunch of like 20 year old dudes talking about wanking. And I'm there with my mum. <laughs> and I get up on stage and start talking about prison. And um, yeah, soon after that, the judge um, uh, changed my bail rules so I could perform comedy. And, and a year later, I, uh, I got sentenced. Um, sorry, but six months later, I got, I got sentenced. So it would have been July uh, 2022. I got sentenced for the large commercial supply of magic mushrooms and acid and MDMA. And I ended up getting sentenced to a um, something they have in Australia called an intensive corrections order, which is essentially doing a 
you do a prison sentence in the community instead of going back behind bars. So I'm currently on that now. And, and so what that means is I just I have to ask permission from the, um, from community corrections if I ever want to leave New South Wales. Um, so, and I also had to do 200 hours community service and they can have stricter rules depending on how much of a risk profile you have. So if you, if you, if I had been done for heroin or meth or something, I might have been subject to, to regular drug testing or something like that. But because it was, um, because it was psychedelic drugs and they consider them to be pretty low risk, um, they got rid of all that stuff for me. So I don't have to do any of that, but, um, but yeah, I do have to get permission to leave New South Wales. And so now, um, yeah, since then, I've been doing stand-up comedy. I do stand-up comedy most nights of the week. Um, and I, I did my debut show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in April 2023. I called that show, I had a very clever name for it. I called it Jokes About the Time I Went to Prison. Um, <laughs> I thought, I thought, let's just put exactly what it is on the can, you know, um, because when you're, when you're a nobody doing comedy and there's a million different comedy shows on, um, you know, if you, if you just named the show Daffodil, people are not going to know what the hell it's about. Right. So right. I, I, I was offered a, a small room late at night and at, at 1040 at night. And, and for you guys, uh, just to, to set the context of it, it would be like, um, what have they got in, um, um the comedy festivals that you've got in in north america you've got we have got like just just for laughs in montreal or um mm -hmm. or they've got the uh the edinburgh fringe festival um in scotland there's, there's ones like that that are the huge ones in in the, yeah. the northern hemisphere um this is the, the melbourne comedy festival is the biggest comedy festival in the southern hemisphere so i went to that and i plugged away late at night with my show and um you know uh, some of the first shows i had really low attendance i had like four people in my second show so it was pretty it's pretty tough to do an hour show to four people yeah but um slowly word kind of built and i started to get some good reviews and i ended up getting nominated uh for best newcomer at the festival which was after that then the rest of the shows i did um that festival was sold out and I got a, I got management out of it, so I got an agent, and I've got, I've got a book deal out of it, uh, which will be coming out later this year. And um, yeah, now I get to travel around as a professional stand-up comedian, and it's, it's my life has changed like completely, 180 degrees, and um, and I'm very lucky and thankful, and it really feels like uh, that four months in prison kind of saved my life, you know, in a weird way, um, because I never would have done i would never would have discovered stand-up comedy without it i i think the 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 what drew me to your story uh and i said i you know for those who are listening i kind of stalked andrew on social media via youtube and stuff like that um because i was just so interested in, in this story but like you you talked about uh in, in one podcast or interview that you did you talked about the arrest and everything that happened mm. um but then it was like a point where, and I, and I, cause I remember listening to the food review about, I think it was like the chicken sandwich when, and then you're like, and, and my fiance told me she rehomed my dogs. And then, yeah. uh, so like, you know, whatever, it was four out of 10. Um, yeah. you know, but like, and I, and I remember laughing at it at the, the TikTok reel of that, but then hearing your actual story of, mm -hmm. of, of being like, you know, because I, at, at the time this all went down, you were in throes of addiction, massively to cocaine prim primarily, right? Like, yes. Um, yes. And 
you you said that at the arrest the officers let you say goodbye to your dogs, which I was like yep. fucking spot on. Atlas and Kermit will probably make an appearance at some point behind me during the uh, interview, or they'll just be up on the couch. But um, the and then that you got this phone call that your fiance rehomed your dogs, and I when I heard that I man that just hit me in the gut because I know how much my my dogs mean to me, and I, I was like. And I, and I and honestly, I credit to you for being able to turn it around because I don't think I would have survived that. Mm-hmm. And for so like you develop this mindset of having this humor and becoming a stand-up comedian, at least that's my perception of it. And it yeah. got you through this. Like, can you kind of talk on that a little bit? Well, I think firstly, I, don't dismiss that you you wouldn't be able to get through that, Rob, because I think you, you don't you don't really know what you can get through until you're tested. You know, I, I think that if if I was before I went through all that, I I probably wouldn't have thought that I could get through it either, you know, but you find that when you hit crisis moments in your life that um, the body, the body kicks in, you find that you have a level of resilience within you um, that sometimes you don't really realize that you have. um, But um, you you have all these faculties that come to you uh, (laughs) in your time of need. And that's pretty cool. That's just that there's something within the human spirit is a drive to survive and get through shit. And um, yeah, most of the time people are lucky enough to not go through crisis points and, and don't find that out. But sometimes finding that out can, can be life changing um, when you find out what you have within you. Um, so yeah, I, um, I it, it certainly was uh, a pretty dark period, particularly the, the first few weeks in prison. Um, but then when I started to let go of my old life, um, when I was in there and so just accept, because I didn't, when I was in there, I, it was before I'd been sentenced, I was thinking I was going to be in there for a few years. Um, I had slowly started to get my head around accepting that this was my new life for now. Being Being an incarcerated person is this is my new life. Um, I need to stop hanging on to that old old life because I may not be it may not be back when, when I get out. Um, and so then when I started doing that, um, I, I and I started to accept my surroundings more. Uh, that made my perspective change, and I became much more positive because I just try to see the, the best in the situation for me. So that small things like just enjoying a cup of coffee in jail in the morning, you know, just something like that. And exercising and having a laugh in the yard, um, you know, just watching a TV program in the evening with my cellmate and laughing about it together, like reading a good book, just like just small things like that, just to keep my sanity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and 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 once you you find just little small things that you can build a positive around, um, you, you you start to you, your perspective changes totally. Did you find that, like once? Once you were in jail, that and I don't want to say life slowed down because that would seem almost too obvious. But like, mm-hmm. there was like, were you lacking all the distractions of of the business? The I don't want to say the fronts, but like, well, you know, the, the the use of the drugs, and now all of a sudden, like, you could really appreciate that that book. That I, I yeah, I this is probably um, some people might find this strange to hear, but I found prison quite relaxing because my life was such a mess and a stress outside um, that in prison, I mean, you don't need to worry about rent or food, um, you know, all 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 these kind of like day-to-day worries of just surviving in the outside world go away. Your only job in prison is just to survive the next day. Mm -hmm. So because of that, um, it it just, it it made everything a lot simpler. And so I found uh, it 
it much more relaxing. I say, um, you know, prison's easy. Real life is hard. Um, you know, it's just you're just putting it in kind of a timeout um, for an extended period of time. And so I just try to use that as best I could to better myself through exercise and reading and and writing. Um, but yeah, it just it just feels like it's just you sit there and it's just a slow waste of your life, really, right. in there. But um, but yeah, I think it just it showed me how much of a mess my my real life had been in um, that I found it relaxing in there. And and also on top of on top of a drug addiction, you also had struggles with gambling as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, particularly uh, uh, the first decade, uh, I sl had slowly kind of got on top of, top of it over the last the, the, the few years before I got arrested. But uh, yeah, the first the first kind of ten years, when I mean, we have a huge problem in in Australia and particularly New South Wales with um, with poker machines, which um, you know aren't that prevalent in in the US, other than like places like Vegas, right? Um, right. The slot slot machines. Whereas, slot machines, right? Yeah, slot machines. Whereas here in, in Australia and in, in New South Wales, they're in every bar, right? Every pub, every bar, everywhere you go, on every street corner. We have we have more poker machines, we have more slot machines in New South Wales than anywhere in the world other than Las Vegas, right? And so what happens is you go to the pub, you go to the bar with your, your friends for a few beers, and then you get drunk, your brain's not working that well, and then you just go into this lit up room it's essentially a casino in every pub corner and um and you gamble your life away and you can lose thousands in a matter of minutes right and so that's just that we have this normalized gambling culture in australia whereas like guys will just go for a drink and then they'll go oh let's go have a cheeky slap is the phrase we have for like just going and having a gamble and so um yeah i found i had a problem with that pretty much from as soon as i was allowed to drink in in, in australia the eight the drinking age is, is 18 so you can be gambling and drinking in, every, in any bar in any street corner from 18 and so i would just lose all my money to to these slot machines week after week after week and the thing that kept digging me out of the hole when i couldn't pay rent uh, and wanted to kill myself because i had this huge gambling problem was was selling magic mushrooms um so that's what helped me to kind of normalize in my head what i was doing because i was like um these these laws um, the laws of Australia don't look after us. These these are killing me. These aren't these aren't good. Why would I obey these laws? I'm going to make up my own rules because this is the only way I can survive. Yeah, can you can you kind of uh, just expand on that a little bit more? Because and, and the on this idea of the laws are, aren't looking out for the good for you. Yeah, well, because I the get drink the most harm that I saw both when um for, for myself and others was gambling and drinking you know starting fights um the gambling was just destroying me um it, it was the big, biggest problems whereas when i was having magic mushrooms i was just sitting with a bunch of mates in my house laughing our ass off or would go camping or like things like that and so we'd have yeah. all these positive times on on magic mushrooms and so for me it was like i don't understand why those ones why, why drinking and gambling are legal and magic mushrooms are illegal this doesn't make sense to me and so the fact that there was the these things that are legal that are, I was finding to be quite evil, and uh, and this magic mushrooms are illegal, but at times were the only thing that was keeping me going. I was like, this these laws don't make sense. Why would I why would I obey these laws? Yeah, and I, I find uh, like one of the things we had here, you know, as a, when I was a kid, was a dare program, and this police officer would come in and talk to us about the dangers of drugs. And they glanced over alcohol real quick, just like, hey, it's alcohol. You have to be 21 to drink this um, and be careful of alcoholics. But then yeah. they would talk about 
marijuana, psychedelics, and then methamphetamine, dope, heroin, coke, crack, whatever. Like, and it was all the same. And I watched so many of my friends experiment with weed and be like, this is not bad. And then like it led some to a very destructive path because they're like, well, if they lied to us about how this marijuana was going to make me do all these crazy things, they certainly weren't on being honest with me about, uh, you know, heroin or whatever mm. else, you know, and, and some of them unfortunately have, have passed away from heroin overdoses or, or using other drugs. But like, I've yeah. even as a first responder, I've never, I can tell you maybe two or three stories of somebody using psychedelics and having a bad trip and taking them to the hospital. But I can tell you thousands of intoxes, drunk driving accidents, suicides, fights, uh, shooting, like all things that are derived from alcohol yeah, and just going off the rails. Like, so exactly. it, it's, I, 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 thank you for kind of clarifying that because, you know, there's something to be said about it. And, and we're certainly seeing psychedelics being used now to treat PTSD in first responders. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The two two of the main drugs that I went to, I was in prison for, um, have now been made legal in Australia. Um, magic mushrooms and MDMA have both been legalized for medicinal use, um, so doctors can prescribe them. So, uh, yeah, there, there's, there seems to be that there, there is a slow shift in perceptions, um, both here and, and internationally, and we'll see where that goes. But I think putting it like, um, you know, alcohol is legal and then the rest are just illegal drugs is just uh, th there's more nuance required than that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, all these drugs do very different things. And I think yeah. it, there needs to be um, further research and education around each individual one. Yeah, I agree. It's because uh, I certainly don't want anybody using methamphetamine. It's pretty, it's a pretty, totally. uh, pretty serious. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I was educated and I knew to stay away from heroin and, and methamphetamine, right? They're the two yeah. that um, I, I stayed away from because I knew that they sounded really fun and I'd probably uh, become addicted to them and, and never be able to get off it, right? They sounded very, like the most dangerous. So that's the ones yeah. that I stayed away from both using and selling because I was like, I don't want to be. Um, I, I wanted ones that I was using that also people could have and have a recreational fun time on, but it wasn't necessarily destroying their life. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, myself, I have ADHD. I've, uh, I always knew I had ADHD, except I always, always told, Hey, like, just work harder, like study. Don't, you know, don't get distracted. Like it was my choice. So I was like, all right, like, let me study harder. It's not working. Um, yeah. But being, I, I have it too. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So there's a, every day I meet more members of the club. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, my first round of when I kind of figured this out, because I was like, yeah, I, I don't know why. I guess not like I don't have the, it's not like I didn't have the money to pay my bills. I would just simply forget them mm. and then be like, yeah, I want to go to the movies. Like, and it's not like I'm not trying to be irresponsible. I am legitimately forgetting how to adult because I just do not remember. And I, a therapist I was seeing was like, hey, let's take a test. And I was like, how did I do? And he was like, you passed it. You have ADHD. And I was like, what? And <laughs> but the, Congratulations. The, yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, shit. Um, but he, you know, when, when with my, my physician at the time got me on Adderall, and we slowly bumped up the doses. And there was, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is like I'm remembering everything. Like I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, mm. But then, like, the side effects started to hit me of, like, irritability and, you know, like, I, I and, and I was on a higher dose at one point and it just wasn't working out. And I remember one of my 
my good friend Morbido is a paramedic. He was in the army as an explosive ordnance disposal technician. Um, and he's like, well, you know, you're, you're taking legalized methamphetamine, you know? And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. it's like legalized crystal meth. And I was like, holy mm. shit. And he's like, yeah, that's why when you stop taking it, you become a cranky asshole. And I don't like talking to you on the phone. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing, yeah, nothing like an honest friend. But it, it's true. Yeah. The, the side effects screwed me. I, I used to have it when I was 16. I used to have eight dexamphetamine tablets a day and uh, I, I could concentrate, but I it, it screwed my appetite and I love food. Yeah. And um, um, it made me like a zombie. I was like just kind of like just a spectator in my own body. And I and I had a lot of trouble sleeping at night. I, I lay in bed and I wouldn't be able to go to sleep for hours. So, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, there is a lot of studies on um, the fact that a lot of people with ADHD are more likely to fall into to addiction and also to um, to end up in prison. That was it was part of my um, my sentencing um, was that they they considered the fact that I was ADHD and that was another one of the reasons that, that um, I, I got the sentence of a corrections order rather than going back to prison. Yeah. And I, and I just, like I said, you know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole just because like I said, it's methamphetamine's bad. And like, I had a legalized version of it and I just saw how much it changed my, my life. And now, you know, I'm on some different meds now and it's good because it's all working out at least yeah. kind of sort of, my wife would probably disagree on some of those things. Like, yeah. <laughs> Still but, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She'd, she'd definitely be here curtailing this one. I'd be like, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I have a list. Um, but yeah, so uh, all right, so kind of going back to, to you a little bit here, Andrew. Um, so you, you become you make this choice when you're in this moment of your life uh, to start doing comedy. What what? How do you gear yourself into that mindset, especially when you're when you're behind bars? Yeah, um, I mean, look, I think that I was quite lucky. I was in, uh, I, so I was in maximum security remand. I was with some pretty heavy dudes when I was locked up because even though if I got sentenced, I would have gone to a minimum security prison because I was on a non nonviolent crime. When I when when in Australia, when you're in remand, uh, if you're on serious drug supply, drug supply charges, you get put in with the worst of the worst. So I was in there with guys that were in there for. Murder, kidnapping, whatever, and uh, I was just another dude in the yard. And if you're if you're in the the main yards, then you're considered to be you know you you're not a um, sex offender or a cop or a or a informant. So um, therefore, you're considered okay. And then when guys found out I was in there for mushrooms and acid, they thought that was hilarious because that was uh, that was not a common thing. <laughs> so I got treated. Yeah, a lot of people. I could feel like there's somebody that's like, "Who are you repping?" And be like, "Andrew Hamilton, uh, mushrooms." Yeah, 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 yeah. No gang affiliation, just a sole trader of mushrooms. They're like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" (laughs) Um, But you know, I think um, yeah, obviously from from all reports, things are very different in America. But in in Australia, I I I actually got treated great. I I had a good time in prison. It was just a bunch of guys who were lost souls that have made mistakes they're all in a wing just trying to you know, just do their time together and um you know so I, I i saw some pretty funny shit sometimes um i remember there was one time i was in a yard and uh there was a prison officer called out over the, the pa system for uh for a guy named david wilson and then a whole yard full of hardened crims were trying to do their best tom hanks castaway impression they were going wasn't <laughs> Wilson, I'm sorry, Wilson, Wilson. And I remember laughing so hard um, that suddenly I forgot about the barbed wire and the cameras and, and, you know, the guards. And I forgot I was in prison for a few minutes because I was laughing so much. And I was like, holy shit, 
this is pretty powerful stuff. If if laughter, hello, what's your dog's name? This is Kermit. Hello, Kermit. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought, man, if, if if laughter can make me laugh so hard that I forget that I'm in prison, uh, even if it's for a few minutes, that is pretty. That's pretty powerful stuff, right? So um, that kind of triggered a memory for me that I I spent like a lot of my my youth going to stand up comedy gigs and clubs. And I love watching it. And I would always like write down jokes on my phone when I was at these gigs because I think I just it was part of me that fantasized about doing it, but I was too mm-hmm. much of a pussy to try. I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I I never looked into how you'd even begin. I never tried. I, I didn't really think I had anything special to talk about. But when I was sitting in there and I had time to reflect on the fact that there was something in me that had always wanted to do that, and suddenly I was in this really unique world um, that that very few people. Um, get to experience and I was seeing humor in it I just started writing jokes about it and so yeah I, I wrote jokes particularly you, you were talking about when the when the police raided my house um you know I got raided by there's they have a organized crime squad in Australia called the Raptor squad and um so I started writing jokes about that because when they tackled me they were like stay down you fat bastard you've got a tiny cock um you know that's what they said to me so <laughs> and then I started writing jokes about well hold on I had my pants on how did they know I had a small cock you know <laughs> so yeah I just started writing jokes about all these kind of scenarios and by the end of it um by the time I went out of prison I had this like whole page of, of joke ideas and then yeah um when I got out I, I started looking for opportunities and I saw there was a stand-up comedy competition in Australia called Raw so I signed up for that and then I started going to open mic gigs and testing out the jokes that I that I'd written, all based on my prison experience. And I thought that it was going to be good because um, one, it was real, but also um, it stood out in a in a crowd of a lot of dudes talking about wanking and um, you know like their their job and stuff like that. I thought that this was just helped me to differentiate myself, and and it did. And it also it felt like I, I, I've said this to a few people before, but. When I was locked up, like I, I'd worked in public relations for a long time, I thought there was a good chance I could get another job or white collar job when I got out. And there was only one news story about my arrest, and it was in the Daily Mail, who like you know barely anyone reads anyway. So I thought I could have just swept it all under the rug and just gone back to a normal job. And um, then I, for some reason, I was like, well, what if I just get up on stage every night and start talking about? the fact that I went to prison for drugs and I sold drugs for over a decade and make jokes about that and, and own it, just own the shit out of my mistake. And yeah, yeah, for some reason it felt like it was such an insane idea that I knew it would work. And so I started doing it and uh, yeah, people, I thought, I thought I might get booed off stage or that like, you know, the uh, normal people might think this was outrageous that I was talking about this, but no, I've never had pushback ever. I've done, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gigs now and i've never once had anyone criticize me for the for the content yeah i think it's i mean one i i love the fact that you talked about like hey i could have swept this under the rug and you know that you, you cite like hey, there's one article about it um but Kerm, go um but there's uh the the fact that you get like because we call it in the fire service if we if we if we screw up and we make a mistake we have to get in front of the camera and own it right away because if we don't do that and the public asks questions and then we don't have the answers for them then that's going to even look <laughs> that's going to even look worse so yep. like getting in front of something is so important and the fact that you were able to do that uh and then in, in this way i think just speaks volumes of things it, it's just like i said it, it, that's huge it, it's such a 
such a power move, you know? Thank you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't realize what I was doing at the, at the time, <laughs> you know, I just was, I was doing it for me. It was quite mm -hmm. cathartic. I was doing it yeah. for me, but um, it's now like fast forward two years of me doing comedy and the amount of messages I get from people uh, all around the world saying that I've inspired them one way or another. It's crazy, man. Um, I had a guy recently uh, who's an, an Australian guy <coughs> say that he got out of prison many years ago and he just um, went back to a job and, and now he's successful and he's never mentioned it. And he swept it under the rug. And because of me, he's been inspired to start talking about it and to start telling people about that story because it's it's part of him and, 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 and part of his recovery. And so that was quite – that was really cool to hear um, yeah. that, that people – uh, that I was inspiring other people to own their shit, even when they didn't need to. Well, and and also, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I know here in the United States, we have this, I guess, let me just be honest with you, our prison system's fucked up and it's broken. Like we're putting, we're, <laughs> I think everyone in the world knows that about, about the US. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's a whole, whole bunch of stereotypes. We can blow right through them. But, um, like, you have to break the stigma of this because, like, what's the point in sending somebody to prison if there's no correction or no, you know, behavior, behavior modification, I know there's an actual official term for it, but like, you know, like by, by talking about it in this manner, you know, that you're humanizing the event. Whereas I think a lot of people think drug dealer, throw them away, lock, throw away the key, lock them up, whatever, not in that order, but um, yeah, you know, and it's like, that doesn't work. You know, it's just, yeah. just there's people who I think definitely deserve to be behind bars. You know, I like and I, 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 you know, like I said, I, there's just there's an evil out there that needs to be locked away. But then there's people Absolutely. who are like, and we we've had this weird thing in in New York where we've done bail reform. Unfortunately, it's swung too far to the left when it comes to its intent. Was that if you are, you know, low level, like if you're dealing marijuana you don't get sent away for years you know you're, you're released on bail because you're trying to raise money for your family kind of thing or you're doing yeah. low-level crime it, it went too far now it's like felon, you know aggravated assault with a weapon is is one of those things really like bail reform you can get released without bail and it's like no no he just stabbed somebody with a very large fucking knife yeah. and they're like yeah, yeah yeah it's all right um yeah, I think um, violent crimes and that kind of stuff need to be dealt with di differently. But there's from what, my, what I saw in prison was I, I didn't really see evil. I just saw a lot of, lot of guys that yeah. were in there. Most most of it is drug related. It's either drugs themselves or guys doing petty crimes to to fund drug addiction. And so that made me yeah. think uh, realize that you know um, I think drugs need to be treated treated as a as a health issue more than a criminal issue. But then also um, most of the guys I was in there with, particularly at Long Bay, I weren't in there for their first time. I, in a yard of 80 guys, I was one of two people that were in prison for the first time. Most of the guys are in their second, third, fourth, fifth time and, and even sixth time. And what that tells you, like it becomes a, a cycle for a lot of these guys. It's a revolving door. And <clears throat> it's because um, – the, the 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 punishment of of putting someone in prison itself doesn't really stop you from wanting to do the crime. Um, the thing that stopped me was um, my the love of my my family and friends that stuck by me. You know, uh, and and because when you do time, you don't really do it alone. You know, and that's a bit that I didn't really realize when I was breaking the law was that the people that love you do it with you. Mm -hmm. And so that's that was a big thing that made me want to change. But also, I saw so many guys when I was locked up. And they, they came from such underprivileged backgrounds that it felt like 
the writing was always on the wall. Like that was always where they were going to end up. And, 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 you know, as shitty as that sounds. Um, but, but for me, I came from a, from a good family and I went to a private school and I, my, my mess was all my own making. Right. And so sitting in there, I felt just so embarrassed. Um, yeah. That I, I'd let, that I'd let myself down that um, I was like, I just, I need to go out and do something different. And so yeah, I don't think that prison on its own stops people from wanting to um, to stop breaking the law. I mean, the the, the numbers um, back that up, right? It's yeah. I think it 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 needs to be. Um, yeah, I think I think opportunities for these guys when they get out to actually do something constructive, uh, and then also like training and education programs inside prison. All these things need to need to be working to give someone a reason why to to stop. Yeah. Um, if I got out and I hadn't had anyone that cared about me or loved me and I was all alone and the only people I identified with were other were, were other ex-cons, I would have gone straight back into crime as well, right? Um, th- there's no real reason unless you you have that reason to get up in the morning and do something different with your life. Well, well and, and that's the other thing too, right? Like you had, you, you hit on that support of family before because I think you talked about it in one of your other interviews is that you might have even said it here tonight. Your first gig, your mom had to take you to. That was a condition of your parole. That's right. So like, yep. who has their mom to say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go out to a comedy club with you. You just been out, you know, you just been kicked to the curb from prison for drug sales. We're gonna yep. go to a place where I'm sure there will be no drugs. Never <laughs> at a comedy club, and yep. I'm gonna babysit you while you do your set, listening to yep. other guys talking about wanking off, and yep. then you're gonna talk about your time in prison, and I'm gonna just endure this as your mother because I love you. Yep. And, I think she was just happy for me to. Yeah, I think Robert. She was just happy for me to do anything other than crime. So right. she was just. She was, just <laughs> she was happy to be supportive <laughs> of anything other than me suggesting we're going to go do a drug deal, Mum. So <laughs> I, I, I've got to tell you, um, the one thing that out of the whole story that really just has been sticking out and it's been staying in my brain, and I just wanted to communicate this with you. You know, your arrest, not to make light of it, but like the fucking Raptor Squad—that's what they called themselves. Like, yeah. it sounds like yeah. a, a shitty sports team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and I, you know, I, I can't wait to police week because I'm sure one of these guys will come over here and uh, come find me. But, like, and I'll say it to them at that point, too. But, like, I was just like, like, the Raptor squad. It just sounded so, I was, I was thinking, like, are you, like, Velociraptors? Like, no, you would have said that. That would have been cool. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I trust you me. I tried Clever girl. I tried a bunch of different. I tried a bunch of different dinosaur jokes about yeah. T Rexes and Raptors. I could never. I could never quite make them work. But uh, yeah, I, I I did use to. I had a lot of Raptor material that I went through uh, over the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they originally started I think as like the the squad to target uh, bikey spiky gangs in 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 Australia. But then it's kind of expanded out um, because I think they just didn't have enough work to. Um, to organize crime and then they must have had a really quiet day the day they were they were like you know we're gonna go raid this mushroom dealer's house right <laughs> yeah i just uh like i said i just remember you said that and like i was listening to one interview and you're like the raptor squad got me and i'm like how did he just say that with a straight face like <laughs> yeah lots of practice <laughs> yeah um but yeah so uh you know you you, you go out you get this uh you start doing stand up. You get you go out to the um, to the one stand up festival, and you're 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 moving on in your career. You've got a book deal coming up, and then you also come on to this other program 
called Yeah Mad TV, which a lot of people that I've communicated with have have said like, oh yeah, like I've seen the dad jokes, I've seen them do the stuff. Can you kind of yeah. just talk on that as far as the process of, of moving out of this from being this, you know, you were down and out. I mean, like you got arrested, you you were at the lowest point in your life trying to find happiness through cocaine and yeah. any other drugs that you could get. And now you're here into this this moment. Yep, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, I lost my, my, my home. I lost all my money. I, I lost my my dogs, my fiance, my business. And, um, you know, I, I felt like I'd lost everything. But then when you sit in prison and you, you realize, oh, hold on, you've got other stuff at your disposal. I had, I still had my health, um, which is, you know, something that you can forget so often, but I still had my, my health and I had, um, and I had my sense of humor. And um, between those two things, I, I, that turned out to be a, a lot to, to enough to get me through prison and and now that's that's what i'm making a living out of right is is, is my sense of humor and so yeah I, when i got out i started doing stand-up comedy and then i started just posting dumb videos on tiktok and that's when i started posting uh, my my food reviews so i would just read the food reviews that i wrote in jail um just just here in this room um which is at my parents place and some of those started to get some traction and some media coverage and um and i got a little bit of a following on tiktok off that and then uh, a guy based in sydney named ben reached out to me and he said he was a fan and he was looking to shoot some content and asked me if i would be interested and so i i went and shot originally the first thing i shot with him was this stupid it was a, it was like a cougar dating show it was like this hot uh 40 year old single woman named yana and 10 of us had to like um go on like speed dating in a room with her and uh i ended up uh getting to the final two it was me and this giant black uh beautiful man who's like a male stripper and uh and he he, he won by a mile <laughs> he won by a mile but uh i was funny enough and this this content never saw the light of day because i didn't think it quite worked but um i had been funny enough during that <laughs> segment that he was like hey man we're gonna try shooting something else next week do you want to try come back and we're going to do some dad jokes? And so he was like, have you, have you got any friends that can come and do this? So I had a few friends in the open mic kind of comedy scene in Sydney and I uh, told them to come and do it. And so that was when um, Alan came and, and my friend Steph and we started shooting content and yeah, I, I told a joke. I said, um, you know, what do you call a dog that can do magic? Labracadabrador. And I, because I had such trouble saying it because I, thought it was so funny i it got like 100 million views on the internet this it blew up so hard and then um the rest was this history we we just kept shooting and and uh, and i got more of my comedian friends involved i got um sath and alan got a killer involved and and um and they got a chloe involved and so we were all open mic we're all comedians in sydney and yeah, so we just started shooting content, and now that channel has turned into a monster. It's like got like 1.7 million subscribers on YouTube, mm -hmm. um, and it's we started in like March last year. So what's that like 10 months? And it's like yeah, a monster, yeah, crazy. And it's all just us just saying dumb jokes that we found on the. I mean, I, I write maybe about 10 percent of the jokes, um, but most of my ones off the internet. Yeah, I I think the interesting part about it is that you know and. One of the things national fair radio we always said that like because we didn't know why we were successful but jeremy would say we're successful because we're authentic we are who we are we're not trying to be somebody else we yeah. are 100 who we are and when i watch you guys do the jokes like and then see even seeing some of the 
behind the scenes stuff, you guys definitely seem like you're 100% authentically who you are in those yep. moments. And it's, it's not like, like, I don't think Alan has this persona that he puts on or Akilah does like, he just turns into this serial killer looking guy. Like he's always like, he doesn't actually look like a serial killer, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, that everybody there has, has a, like, they are them a hundred percent and you yep. can, you can and we all that. like each other. We all have fun together. Like, yeah, we're, we're laughing our ass off from the moment we, we, we arrive before the cameras are starting till uh, when we go home. And, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll finish a shoot. We usually shoot on a Sunday and then we'll go and do a comedy night or we'll go do a comedy gig later that evening. Half pissed from doing the shots. We'll go and do a comedy yeah. show. So it's a How? very fun day. We're actually shooting. What day is it? Today here is Thursday in, in Australia, in Sydney. So yeah, I'm doing, we're doing another year mad shoot this Sunday. So in three days, three days. Yeah. And that's uh, I, I think that's the other thing that, I, you know, as a firefighter, I'm impressed just with the alcohol that you guys put down and somehow you don't fall out of those chairs. <laughs> I mean, you're you're going <laughs> shot to shot, and it's, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely harder when because I laugh at my own jokes so much, Rob. Like, oh, you'll uh -huh. see how many shots I'm having to have. <laughs> Luckily, I'm six foot one and a hundred kilos, which is, I don't know what that is in pounds, but I'm I'm a big boy, so I can handle it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the other guys not so much. I think the latest episode that came out, Alan had to do quite a lot of shots, and um. You can see that he that he started to get quite f funny on it. Yeah, he was. Uh, I did watch that. He was uh, definitely doing. He was. He was feeling no pain by the end of it. No, not at all. <laughs> so, what? Sure, I just had something and it went right out of my uh, ADHD brain. That's I was like, But I mean, look, we're, we're, we're with that channel. Where um, you know, we don't know where it's going to go. After this, we're, we're going to have a meeting and try and figure out what other things we can do. Because at some point, we're going to slowly start to run out of good jokes on the internet, and uh, and it's like quite a hard work to um, to write that many good jokes every every kind of shoot. So um, you know, what what else? What other content we do? We'll we'll figure that out. I think there's 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 certainly some scope for us to do some kind of like um in, in practical jokers kind of stuff, or um or like just dumb game show kind of ideas. We'll figure it out. Just something where we can all like be our natural funny selves together i think should still work yeah i think the christmas special is pretty interesting that was uh everybody going out and getting a, a present for santa like that was yeah exactly that was that was that, that's us experimenting with some different stuff you know and that will uh i i think whatever you guys are going to do you're going to do well um so we've been going around 40 minutes or so uh what else what what else do we do we miss anything about Andrew Hamilton that we need to get out there. Um, well, I think, I mean, the, the, the fun challenge for me now is like, I, I made my, the, the, the initial success I had from comedy was just by talking about prison. And I had so much content around that. So now I'm trying to move myself away from that, from being um, like the prison guy to just being a good stand up comic. And so, you know, I, I'm only two years into comedy. Oh, not even. I, I'm I'm two years at the end of the month. So, um, you know, I I understand that uh, I, I've progressed very quickly. And you hear all these amazing comedians talk about how they didn't get good till like many years in, right? Um, five, ten years in, and they started to really hit the sweet spot. So, uh, I'm trying not to put too much pressure on myself, but I still. I've got people coming to my show, so I want them to, you know, yeah. have a good time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of trying to learn the craft, learn what I can talk about, 
and, and figure out what I have to say as a comedian beyond prison. And that's, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at at the moment. So I'm, I'm about to tour in Australia a new show called Andrew Hamilton Shit Bloke. And the, the, the basic premise of that is that just because you stop breaking the law doesn't mean you instantly become a good person. You've got to work on yourself, right? So... <laughs> So that's that's kind of where where I'm at at the moment, and so yeah, I'm working on that show. I'll be touring it around Australia, but I mean, the dream is, man, in in another couple of year or two that I can I start touring internationally. Um, so yeah, I'd love to go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, and um, you know, I I I have like from my social following, I have a huge contingent of US followers, and I'd love to make it to the US. One day, uh, I'm going to need a really good immigration lawyer to get, <laughs> to get me in. But um, it looks like there is a pathway for me to be able to do it if you can make a good enough case around why you deserve an exemption, right? And so my case would be around my rehabilitation story because um, some co really cool things that I get to do now because of, um, I guess, my journey, I just performed before Christmas. I got to perform for a juvenile detention center. In, in Australia, in Sydney, um, for the boys there. Um, and that was pretty full on because originally I thought I was going to perform for all the boys together, but then I got told a few days before that I would have to perform for all set all five separate units of boys um, separately because they don't mix well. And what they meant by that was um, some of them have killed each other's friends and family. Like they have serious gang beefs. So um you know, that was quite uh, sobering to hear that when I was planning to go in there and tell them jokes about my dick, um, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it was great. It was it was really awesome to be in there with, with, with these guys who, um, you know, they don't have a lot of stuff, like happy, fun stuff happening. And particularly around Christmas time, you have kids in there 15, 16, up to, to 20 before they go to adult prison. And so it was really cool to be able to be invited in there and trusted to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, it, there was even a funny bit when I was just telling them some jokes and one of the prison guards walked past me and whispered in my ear. He was like, um, he goes, uh, tell them the dead hooker joke. And uh, <laughs> that was like a joke I'd, I'd said on Yeah Mad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, clearly these guys know my work. <laughs> Tell the death hooker joke. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But um, but now uh, in, a, in next month, I am been invited to go and perform in maximum security prison. Um, not the one that I was in. And I, I'm going into Silverwater Prison, but it's cool. And so my dream is one day, hopefully, I can go in there and film an hour special at Long Bay Jail. I can be yeah. like Johnny Cash, you know. I was um, just gonna fucking be... say that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be, that's my dream. I think would be to perform for, um, for the inmates in, in, in Long Bay jail. And, um, that would be really cool content, but for now, yeah, I'm, I'm still a, I'm a poor comedian. I say this all the time. I'm a poor comedian living with my parents and, um, I'm happier now than I have ever been. And that's because, uh, I really, I found a calling. I found something which gives me purpose and, and brings me joy and so, yeah, I don't really care about the, the other the, the monetary stuff now. I just I, I I really enjoy what I'm doing, and and this ride just keeps getting better and better and better. And it's, it's brought me, so, you know, so many people I've, I've touched. I get all these messages all the time, and it and it has brought me into such um, cool opportunities, like performing in prisons, and 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 opened my world to cool people like you guys. You know, this is this is awesome to be able to talk to you and 
and and your audience of of amazing you know firefighters this is this is awesome man andrew if there's a if there's somebody out there who's who's struggling um you know mental health wise they're going down a, a dark path and 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 you've been on a similar path maybe not the same one but you've been you've been in that in that spot what would you what I don't want to say what advice would you give them, like, but like, what would you have to say to somebody? Um, well, I certainly know from now for that, that there was so long where I was just ex escaping down the rabbit hole of of alcohol, drugs, and gambling because I was just miserable. I didn't like uh, my life, and I didn't like the person that I was. Um, right, and so. I think that when you do that, you find you, you're just constantly trying to find ways to escape. So you have to try and create a life for yourself from which you don't need to escape. And so I, I found two things uh, things that help for me. Um, one is just staying busy, staying so busy that I don't have the time to think. Even if I'm feeling down, if I'm so busy, then I, I just got to keep doing the next thing. Um, also, uh, exercise is an absolute life changer for me. Exercise and sunlight. I spend so much time as just a depressive, a d depressed, um, like drug vampire sitting in the dark for weeks at a time that just like getting the sunlight on my skin, um, and, and exercise are two massive, massive game changers for me. Um, that then the rest kind of falls into place. But, um, I think that yeah, I, I, if another thing which I, I I found from talking to people on my podcast is um, sometimes yeah people people don't really get to that point where they they ask themselves what they would want to do with their life until they until it all goes to shit right until mm -hmm. you're told that you have a few weeks to live or your wife is leaving you or um, your best friend just died or you're going to prison suddenly you start to ask yourself some harder questions. Um, and really, you need to be uh, you need to find a way to ask yourself those harder questions before that happens, um, because I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think I always knew that I wanted to do stand up comedy. I just never really interrogated myself hard enough to get that out. And yeah. um, there are so many people that go through life and it's not until they're old and miserable and they reflect on their life and think, what do I always wish I, if I could redo my life, what would I have done? And they, I guarantee you when they think that there'll be an answer, they'll know what it is, but they'll be 80 years old and the opportunity will have passed them by. So I would just encourage you to try and ask yourself that question. Now you'll know an answer and just start thinking about what you can do. Even if it's a hobby, right? Even if it's something you just do as a side hobby, it's just something that gives your life more purpose will just suddenly be a, a absolutely life-changing for you um that's what i think because yeah i was lucky enough to go to prison um and, and have that moment of self-reflection but um you know not everyone's that lucky you know I, I think when you said about having the conversation with yourself asking yourself the questions i i think sometimes people are are afraid to do that because of the hard look or there's just that anxiety but what i've always my advice to first responders when they're like you know they go to a traumatic incident and they're just like shit like you know and then and then the nightmares or the flashbacks but i tell them I was like the minute that you say out loud man i'm i'm messed up from that call like i didn't expect to see them kids there or whatever the whole thing is right like you, you get that out like, or i don't feel right because this happened 
but the minute that you speak those words, like the static on the radio, the channel now all of a sudden comes in crystal clear, you know, yep. or, or the television set that's all like from the you know fifties, the antennas and stuff, it's all scrambly, and all of a sudden the picture just comes in, and once that happens, you you own it. You don't have to. It doesn't have to own you anymore, you know. And and I, so I think yeah. in light of what, like, just with what you said, like you asked those questions of yourself, that's going to help. That definitely is helping out take yeah, ownership of it. Yeah, I think you just touched on something which I haven't really considered before, which um, is also that yeah, for me, comedy was just a great outlet to because I was very angry when I got out of prison. I was angry at my fiance. I was angry at myself. I was angry at the friends that left me. Um, you know, I had so much rage that I, I and I and I didn't want to use that in in a negative way. That I, I used it in comedy. Um, you know, you think mm -hmm. that people get up and just they're saying stuff on stage at a comedy gig because they want to be funny. No, I was used doing it because I was fucking angry, man, and I wanted to get it out um, through a positive outlet. And I chose comedy, and so. I found that deeply, deeply cathartic and, and, and help. That's how I um, process my trauma or any anger is, is through making jokes about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then people get to enjoy that and I feel good about it. So yeah, if, if you've got people that have this stuff stuck in them, find, find a way to express it. If, if that's um, talking to a friend, family or counsel or, or counseling, great. If that's through art, painting, writing, music, uh, comedy, whatever you want. Um, you know, maybe it's it, it, maybe it's not good to keep it all in, um, but and maybe you need to express it in one way or another. But just try and find a positive way to get it out. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. That's uh, I think that's where we're gonna end it because that's pretty strong right there. And I don't know if we can pull out another one, but no, that's <laughs> no I, worries. Yeah, Andrew, we, we call that we call that a strong closer in the biz. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, good strong closer right there. Um, and Andrew Hamilton. Uh, where can people find you? Um, well, until that magical day when I can enter the US, um, just check me out on social media. Uh, it's Andrew Hamilton Comedy on Instagram or uh, Andrew.hammo on TikTok. Um, yeah, they're, they're the main ones for me at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be touring Australia this year, and then uh, yeah, hopefully the, the global tours will will continue. We'll, we'll start up in the in the next few years as I. Uh, get a big enough audience to sell some tickets. Yeah, I think I think you're going to be there uh, sooner than you think. So, and I'm I'm pretty excited about it because uh, I know from all the way over here in, in the United States, it's been like, just the past couple you know months or whatever that I've stumbled into your content. It's been uh, interesting to watch it develop. And I I um, you know you said something before about like hey you're you're two years into this and you you talk to other. Uh, comics or you hear from other comics and they say oh it's it's you know it was took me years to get to this mm -hmm. um the thing that i know that's different is with you is you're not trying to rush the process and you're embracing it you know i mean you've you've taken these two years in stride and you're not like you're not like <laughs> it's happened because i'm fucking good like no like you're you you know exactly how this is laid out and you're going to embrace the process and i think the process is going to come back twofold for you Absolutely. Yeah. I love the journey, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, every night I get to go up and just say dumb things into a microphone and try to make strangers laugh. And that's such a, a weird, cool thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, uh, stick around here. I'm going to do our outro, but everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight or today, depending whenever you listen to the podcast, but uh, frontline mindset, national fire radio with Andrew Hamilton, Andrew Hamilton comedy on Instagram, 
check him out. You are going to laugh your ass off because he's hysterical and just a great conversation in the mindset that got him to where he is today. This is Rob, National Fire Radio. We'll see you guys out there. See you later. Thanks for having me. Fire Radio.